and welcome to the Autumn Ridge Women's Podcast, where we explore God's Word, not simply to learn more about the Bible, but to consider how to apply its wisdom. I'm your host, Svea Mary, and each week I'm joined by talented women from our congregation. We invite you to imagine yourself sitting here with us, enjoying a great discussion as friends about God and how His Word helps us take our next steps to become the women God intends for us to be. Today we're discussing a great chapter in Scripture, Luke chapter 15, which contains one of the most known and most loved stories in the whole Bible, the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son story is the third of three parables in Luke 15 that Jesus used to describe his heart for recovering any person who is spiritually lost. And since we want to be people who are becoming increasingly like Jesus Christ, it's easy to establish that in this chapter we can see that the fully devoted follower of Jesus cares about recovering the lost. I'm happy to say that with me to walk through these beautiful stories is the beautiful Heather Henderson. Welcome back to the podcast, Heather. Thanks, Faya. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm glad you're happy to be here. And what a great chapter that we get to discuss today. I've been looking forward to this one for quite a while as we get to see mm-hmm. the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And uh, and binding all of these stories together is God's beautiful heart for the lost and the joy that there is in recovering it. Um, I can see even in your eyes right now, the joy that uh, that you feel for that. What are what are some of the the things that you've been looking forward to about discussing this chapter? Yes, um, this this text, this chapter is so rich, and I think that it would be um, a disservice to the text to only read it for face value without mm. really investigating some of the incredible things that are going on behind the scenes. Mm. Um, but the theme that goes throughout this whole thing is the this person or you know character in the story there's three different characters that we're going to be discussing um and the the efforts that go into reclaiming the lost Mm -hmm. um and how that just transcends everything else and so that is probably the thing that brings me the most joy and i think is our greatest calling as believers Mm -hmm. is to go to where the lost are yeah. I mean, all of us were lost ourselves yes. at some point, and it's by God's grace that we were at some point found. Yes. And uh, and what a joy that God involves us in his picture in helping other people mm-hmm. be welcomed into his family, too. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, Luke 15 gives us three stories. Of course, the crown jewel of the three is the prodigal son story, but there's two very short little stories that precede that, that kind of lay a foundation for the ultimate lessons that Jesus is going to teach. Why don't we take a quick look at the first two, the lost sheep and the lost coin? Uh, and they're probably short enough we could get away with reading that. Do you want to read verses four through seven for us? To- I sure will. Mm-hmm. So let me set the stage really quick here for mm-hmm. chapter 15. Uh, it starts with tax collectors and other notorious sinners mm. uh, often came to listen to, to, to Jesus teach. And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so these are like known sinners. That would be a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be tax collectors and other people whose sin is not quite as easy to hide. Mm-hmm. And they are the ones who are coming to Jesus, which has really set the Pharisees on edge mm-hmm. because they're like, how is it that these people who are so openly 
terrible at sinning, bad people. Mm -hmm. These bad people can have the same access to somebody like Jesus that we can, and we have worked so hard to maintain moral integrity. Yeah. So I feel like that first chunk sets the stage for what's about to happen. It sure does. Sets the stage for Jesus to be like, let me tell you a few stories. Yeah. Um, And so let me start here with um, chapter four. Jesus tells him this story. I'm sorry, verse four, chapter 15. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Mm. I love that picture. Of it's a beautiful the shepherd picture. with the little lamb just wrapped around his shoulders. We carrying see it that back to people safety. have turned that into pieces of artwork. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How many it's times have you seen the shepherd with the, with the lamb? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I absolutely love this story. I think it's it's a really beautiful image. It's warm. It's hopeful. The sheep was lost, and he relentlessly searched for that sheep until he found it and brought it back. And we see that picture with God. He goes yeah. searching and is in relentless in his pursuit of us. Yeah. And I think that that's the beautiful side of this story. There's a little bit of a seamy, darker side, mm-hmm. though, too. And uh, and if we're honest, it's not a rare response from some of us that might see the part about that there's more joy yeah. in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people. Right. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon to have people, if they're being honest, say, I kind of bristle at at a little bit, you know, like, what about the 99 of us who were obediently where we were supposed to be? Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and struggle (laughs) with feeling that. And um, I was, I was reflecting on that and and praying about it myself, like, God, help me to examine my Mm -hmm. heart in that. And, uh, and a thought that came to my mind now, now, you know, I've, I've raised a few children in (laughs) in my day. I've managed to get six children, at least through their senior year of high school here. I'm still working on my youngest one. Um, but at one point, we had a whole lot of little ones running around. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I felt oftentimes like my part-time job was just counting to six to make sure that none of them had gone off the yeah. uh, off the rails. And and I mean, obviously, if, if I counted to five and there was one missing, everything stopped sure. until we found the kid that uh, that I, I didn't know where, where he or she was. And you know, it would be ridiculous for any mother to say, you know, oh, well, I've got five others that are safe and sound. (laughs) Now, I don't know, if I had 100 sheep, I might be, well, well, I got 99 others. (laughs) Maybe I miscounted. (laughs) No, but they are all precious to to the one that that is the caregiver Mm -hmm. for those sheep or a mother with a child. You know, intuitively, we know any one lost child, sheep, you know, we're going to see next to coin, things like that. These things have incredible value to the one that that yeah. is responsible for these things. Yeah. Even if they're modest things that might not have such priceless value to someone else, yeah. they're priceless to the one that loves them. Absolutely. And this beauty that, that the shepherd or, you know, that it stands for the beautiful heart of our Father God who loves each of us. We're all precious to him. And even one lost person is worth leaving everyone else to go recover. Yep. And I think it lays the it lays the groundwork for what we're going to read in the prodigal son story as well with that last line about 
how he rejoices more than all the others who didn't stray. Yeah. Well, let's look at the lost coin story, too, because that line is going to come back again. Mm -hmm. So verses 8 through 10, uh, they say this, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost." Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Yeah. You know, this is, it reminds me of a time when Rick and I were in college. <laughs> we got married like, you know, we were babies. Um, but, so we were in college together. And one, one week, he just decides to go and cash his paycheck instead of depositing it into our joint checking account. Uh-huh. And I'm like, hey, you know, a couple of days later, I'm like, what happened to your check? And he's like, huh. He's like, I cashed it out. And then I went to a movie. And then I went to lunch with Jerry. And then like, he's, mm. he's like, so I don't really know. Oh. <laughs> so we lost a whole week's worth of wages that oh, we needed no. to pay bills. And he's like, I don't know where it went. <laughs> um, Rick's also not allowed to have cash anymore. <laughs> As a general rule, but when I read this story and I realized that that coin was really worth a good amount of wages for this yeah. one woman. Yeah, this wasn't a little penny that you might no. just go, oh, well. That's it's... her livelihood for a week. Yeah. That's her food, you know? Yeah, so it, it's substantial. It's significant. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think the idea of these 10 coins helps us to see, though, is that they're all coins of equal value. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the one that was lost was somehow less precious than the other nine that she still had. And, and, uh, you know, again, like you brought out that the... Jesus is telling these stories in the context of these tax collectors and and notorious sinners in contrast to the religious leaders of those days. It's not like the former crowd was of any less value. They're Mm -hmm. all like, you know, equal worth in in God's eyes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I I can't help but think that Jesus used the imagery of a coin on purpose that way to make a statement that uh, that that sinner is not worth anything less than these religious leaders that consider themselves to be uh, maybe doing things a little bit better than everyone else. That's such a great point. I don't know that I've ever really thought about it that way. Mm. Mm. Well, there you go. You're kind of smart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things I thought thought was interesting was... um, uh, one of the commentaries that that we'd read about this talked about how like the Middle Eastern home at this time likely wouldn't have had any windows. So mm. this would have been a dark cave-like existence and she would have lit a lantern and swept the floor and gone from corner to corner very methodically, but doing everything she had. I mean, extreme measures to mm. find this last coin. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the things I love about these two stories is that in both cases, the thing that is lost is actively sought Mm -hmm. after. And I think it gives us a beautiful picture of God's heart where he's not just sitting around in heaven hoping that people find their way back. God is actively seeking for sinners to come to him. Yep. Mm-hmm. I agree. And this is where we see a change in the way that Jesus is telling the stories. So the first two, we've had three parts. We've had the introduction to the character. You have the problem that needs to be solved, and you have a neat and tidy little resolution. Everything has been found and returned, and we're celebrating. Yep. When we get to the story of the prodigal son, mm-hmm. this changes. It does. It's really just 
kind of a two-part story it is without a resolution and it leaves us feeling uncomfortable at the end it's a two-part story like you say without a resolution and it's also kind of being told on two tracks Mm -hmm. so that both the tax collectors and sinners are hearing one level of the story while the pharisees and religious leaders are hearing a different level of the story i think it shows the genius of jesus absolutely and his skill at being a master storyteller yeah uh and really i mean being able to say something that's applicable to everyone who was listening yeah you know well rather than read through the whole story do you want to kind of summarize it for us and then we'll uh, we'll pull out some of the Yes. The things that we uh, that we love about this story. Absolutely. So before I get started, I just want to give credit to Tim Keller um, mm. in his book, The Prodigal God, and also his sermon you can find on YouTube um, has been one of those that struck me for many, many years when it mm. comes to the story of the prodigal son. This is the um, the content. It it just wrecks me, Svea. Mm. It just wrecks me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm honored and excited to be able to share a lot of his thoughts mixed with some of my own uh-huh. uh, today. I just want to make sure that credit is given to him, <laughs> who is he is so so smart. Um, so we find the story of the last son, the prodigal son, in, starting in verses 11. So we have 11 through 12, where uh, the son basically wants his share of this, the estate before his father dies. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is kind of saying to his father, like, you're ooh, dead to me, basically. Yes, that's basically it. I don't even want to wait around until you've, you're dead. I just want your money now. That's exactly it. Because his wealth and his estate would have been tied up in livestock and land and not necessarily wealth and coin. Mm. So in order for him to be able to give his son one third of the estate, which is what it would have belonged to him if that, you know, since there's an older son, the older son always got twice the portion. Mm-hmm. So thirds. So the younger son, he would have to sell it off and give his son one third mm-hmm. worth of that, which leaves the remaining two thirds completely in the possession of the brother. The father at this point basically has nothing mm-hmm. that doesn't that belongs to him personally. And you never see him comment on that in the story. Not it's a not word. in his heart. He to doesn't be selfish. even argue. Mm-hmm. He's like a few days later the, he packed all of his sons and moved to a distant land and the father agreed. Like he just he agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. Which is kind of a beautiful picture of mm-hmm. God and the way that he doesn't force any of us to come to him, he does give us some leash right. to to make our own decisions, whether they be good ones or bad ones. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, God does allow us. And to, at uh, this point, the listeners would have been shocked mm-hmm. because it would have been appropriate for the father at that time to go after this son and either physically beat him or run him out of town verbally, basically disown him. Mm-hmm. for asking this of him because he's basically saying you're worth more to me dead yeah yeah so, so the son big deal. takes his early inheritance and mm-hmm. moves off yep so in verses 13 and 14 he wastes all of his money and he's now destitute and this is wild and reckless living whatever you can think of in ancient middle eastern history this is what he spent all of his money on mm-hmm. but that's a third of his father's wealth and you have to think how long that had to accumulate and Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden he's just wasted it all yeah (laughs) wasted it all um and some of that was his fault and the fact that he was destitute i mean part of it wasn't his fault it was there was also a famine so he had this reckless living which also corresponded with a famine in the land Mm -hmm. so now he had no way to really make a living even if he wanted to which is how he ends up with the pigs yeah (laughs) 
right. which is the picture of complete dishonor yeah. for J- oh. Jesus's Jewish audience here, where they would have considered pigs to be this unclean animal that they didn't even necessarily want to be around, let alone involved in the uh, the very not glorious aspect of feeding and cleaning up after these pigs. This would have been the lowest job, mm-hmm. the lowest job. Nobody, I mean, you, you might as well just roll over. <laughs> um, and so I love in verse um, 17, it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. So he's finally coming around. Um, And so that's what we see in verses 17 through 19. He decides to repent and move home, but not just as like a humble servant in the home, as a hired servant, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is is pretty interesting. A slave would have lived in the household and been given rations within the household to live, and they're not necessarily paid. Mm -hmm. A hired worker earns wages. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is, according to Tim Keller, him in an attempt, he's going to go work his way back into the good graces of his father. He's going mm-hmm. to pay his father back. Yeah. Right? He doesn't at all see himself worthy anymore. He, he may get the, the lowest of the low position, but yeah, uh, yeah can, he, can he earn his way back into his father's right. household? Right. And that's that is so well, the next the next part of this is where he's like, okay, I'm ready. You know, he's been practicing his his speech, practicing his speeches all the way home. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's like, all right, I've got this. I know what I'm going to say. And so he sees his father. He's going to tell his father, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long ways off, the father saw him coming. Mm. And I love that picture because it's like, man, was the father sitting there looking for him? Mm. Was mm-hmm. he was he waiting and praying for his son to come mm-hmm. home? Um, and then he said to his... Um, <laughs> well, and while he sees him coming, I love that the next part of that in verse 20 says that he felt compassion. Yes. And, uh, and, and compassion has been kind of a, a thread that has happened in a lot of the chapters mm-hmm. that we've looked at uh, unintentionally, but it's just a word that keeps on coming up. You know, like yeah. when Jesus healed the widow's son in one of our previous uh, weeks of study, it was because he felt compassion for her. Yes. So the compassion of the father to recognize the destitute nature of his son and to act on on the compassion that he had for him. I love it. And the the whole picture of his of his his the father running to his son, embracing him. Some of the versions say he fell on his neck. This would have Mm -hmm. been absolutely inappropriate again for a father in ancient middle eastern culture to run at all because Mm -hmm. he is i mean he's the owner Mm -hmm. of all the property he's dignified this would have been appropriate for children for youth for women sometimes to run but for a man to run i mean he made an absolute fool of himself Uh running out to greet his son yeah and i'm like man you know what i have a daughter who went away to school I would probably make myself a fool out of getting to see her if it had been several months. Yeah. <laughs> I have no shame. Um, and just as the son was getting ready to confess his practiced speech to his dad, his, his father wouldn't even have it. Yeah. Wouldn't even have it. Yeah. Wouldn't let him finish. <laughs> well, and, and it's a beautiful thing because I think for all of us that identify with the prodigal mm-hmm. son or or have felt that maybe at one point in our life we have been a prodigal, yeah. this picture of not having to earn our way back into God's favor 
Yeah. But that he's waiting with open arms for us, not just to return, not just to be accepted, but to be celebrated. Celebrated and, and building on those sonship. Yes. And building on those first two stories, the sense of joy of this incredible relief and joy that what was once was lost has now been found, that mm-hmm. that is what is waiting for us. Or, or if we have loved ones that are prodigals, that that's what's waiting for them. They don't have... They don't have to earn their way back into yeah. God's favor. It's just there. Isn't that great? Yeah. And I love how, I love the picture of how he just automatically, you know, the the significance of placing, of clothing him mm. with clothing and putting a ring on his finger. These were things like the ring is essentially reestablishing his authority within the authority within the family. Yeah. Like it just was automatically reinstated as a son. Yeah. There was no, hmm. <laughs> Let's see how bad he feels about his actions. Right. And it makes me think about the way that we treat other people. You know, when we hear of um, maybe somebody who's gone and lived a wild and reckless life or made terrible choices and they've ended up, you know, they've ended up in the pit. Yeah. We, we naturally want to put them on probation for a we while. We do. We hold our hearts and our emotions at a, and they're guarded. Yeah. They're guarded until they can prove that they've that they're worthy enough. Yeah. And I'm Fortunately, like, that's not what God does. But it is kind of a natural reaction in the older brother. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, let's let's shift the focus to that a Absolutely. little bit. Absolutely. That's the second part of the story. So we have this and the story seems to end right there. It's mm-hmm. like, okay. And he came home and he was forgiven and they all lived happily ever after. Mm-hmm. But then there's the brother. Yeah. Uh, and he hears the party and the commotion going on. Um and so in verse 25, we start to see how um, the brother comes back into the older brother comes back into the into the picture. So he's out in the field working hard. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, this is still in a time of famine. He's coming back to the home and he hears music and dancing. Mm-hmm. And he is like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, and so he asked one of the servants and the servant says, your brother's back. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Mm. And this is not a small deal. Like the fattened calf, this was not something that you'd even do for a family gathering. This calls for like an entire community worth of celebrating. And in the time of a famine, Mm -hmm. this is very lavish. Mm -hmm. This is like, what in the world? And let's not forget that everything that has remained with the father belongs to the eldest son. Mm -hmm. So he's now given the younger son his rope, his ring, mm. and now they've killed the fat calf. Yep. <laughs> you can just feel the indignance dripping out I of know. the older brother. I know. Mm-hmm. It kills me. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can get, I'm the oldest sister. Like, I'm the oldest. I get this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and like the first story of the sheep, you know, the older brother kind of represents the, the feelings that we might have about the 99 mm-hmm. who all got left. Yeah. In the wilderness, uh-huh. while the shepherd went to look for the one, the, yep. the older brother is, is voicing that. And, and sometimes we might feel that way, too. And we hear there's more joy in heaven over the repentance of one sinner. Yeah. Um, and it, I think that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. The father, in this case, goes out to the son and he pleads with him. He pleads with him. He doesn't just let him return on his own. He is like, no, 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 no. You, you are my son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and your brother has returned. And what's interesting is that the older brother, when he's coming back and talking about it, he's not even referring to him as his brother. He's telling the father, your son has wasted his inheritance. Mm-hmm. And you have welcomed him back. And the father is like, your brother. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. It sounds like a conversation I'd probably have with my mom and dad yeah. if I were angry with a sibling. Um, yeah. I mean, you can kind of sympathize with the older brother a little bit for his concern for justice. And mm-hmm. we do want God to be just. We do. But at the same time, when we see that God is this incredible God of forgiveness and of grace and of mercy, that should compel us to just be on our knees in gratitude Absolutely. that we love a God like that. Because that same God that is welcoming the sinner is the same God that is welcoming us in our sin as Absolutely. well. And it's not to say that, you know, those who choose to go and live a wild life and come back to God, like there's no consequences for that sin. Mm. There is consequence for sin. Well, you could see the remorse even in this, the prodigal son. Yes, we're and, looking currently mm-hmm. at broken relationships as a result. Yeah. Of sin. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't mean that everything's better. And so those of us who are here and who have been faithful to God should celebrate the fact that we don't have the chains mm-hmm. that are dragging us down from sin, even though we're set free. Now, one of the points that we brought out in the first two stories was mm-hmm. that there was a clear picture of the active seeking yes. of the lost. And it's so fascinating how in this story, no one was actually actively seeking the son. Whereas by tradition, it should have been the role of the older brother to be out there seeking his lost brother, and he chose not to. And I think that's a significant yes. detail that might go missed if uh, if that's not studied and understood. Absolutely. And Historically, I think that's an, that would have been true. It's an important thing for us to think about, especially in our context here as women in Rochester, Minnesota, attending Autumn Ridge Church, that God expects us to be playing a role in actively seeking the mm-hmm. lost. And uh, and I think it's worth us taking a moment to just reflect on that. How are we feeling about finding the lost in our community? You know, when, when we do bring mm-hmm. people into our church home who begin to put their faith in Jesus, are we celebrating with the angels? Are we rejoicing? Are we jumping up and down with joy at the the incredible mercy and, and graciousness of our God? Or, or does it kind of stick in our craw a little bit that, you know, maybe dynamics are changing a little bit around church. You know, I think it's it's a thing worth reflecting on. I absolutely agree with you. And so it, it forces me to get into the question of what am I finding my security and value in? Mm. Um, you know, is it work? Is it is it the tasks that I complete at church? Is it my family? Uh, is it money? I mean, it could be anything, really. Um, and some of those things could be good. But the idea here is coming home. Mm-hmm. And while those things may be good, it can't bear the full weight of our soul. And it will always be traveling and never home mm-hmm. until we can really come to the place where we've accepted the fact that this cost Jesus greatly. Yeah. This was not free. Yeah. You know? God loves every one of us. He mm-hmm. wants all of us back in yep. his home. Yes. And he wants those of us that are already there to be out finding people and bringing them back. So that's a good that's a good point. There's a lot of, um, you know, when, when Rick and I, have, we've been in ministry for a long time. Um, and there's always been a part of me that's been jealous of that. Like, oh, you get to be in ministry and you're with Christians all day. And, <laughs> oh. and so probably eight years ago, um, I took a job. The kids had finally all gone to school. I took a job. And I was working in this secular environment. And... I came to realize that my impact for the kingdom is greater by being out in the world Mm. where the last people are working, where the last people are hanging out. And that's where the greatest impact is going to be rather than in the church with people who already know Jesus. Mm. And so Mm. that has become, I mean, 
I, I love the way that I work now. I have exposure to all these different people, but it's such a great thing to think about is how can you, it, you know, expand your exposure mm. to people in the world so that you can expand the impact that the kingdom has. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If I could kind of land the plane Do here, it. where we are, you know, the pilot in me feels the need okay. to bring the plane back to the hangar here. Um, it, it, it just seems clear from this chapter that fully devoted followers of Jesus are called to share in mm-hmm. the mission and the joy of recovering the lost. Yes. Those who are lost must be pursued until they're found in God in his incredible uh, wisdom, but also his, his um, unbelievable grace has trusted us to yeah. be part of that mission of going out to find those who may be rejected by some or, or overlooked by others, but to bring everyone back home to God. And that gospel of God's gracious love isn't something that should be hoarded mm. by the righteous, but is to involve all of us in reclaiming the lost for God. Yes. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) Let's pray. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your heart, for every one of us, that we are all of incredible worth in your eyes, and that it's not your will that anyone should perish, but that all would come to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, give us who do know you the heart that you have for others and help us to reclaim those who are lost so that we would all rejoice together in great celebration of your love and goodness for every one of us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Autumn Ridge Women's Podcast, a production of Autumn Ridge Church. We appreciate the technical assistance provided by Josiah Novinger, Ian Benoit, Robert Nash, and others from our wonderful staff. We'd love to hear your comments or questions on this or any other episode, and you could reach us at women at autumnridgechurch.org.